if you're not a fan of Joe Douglas, there's a good chance you're not going to like what you're about to hear. I'm Glenn Norton with Jet Nation Radio, JetNation.com. Be sure to log on to JetNation.com where you can register and become a part of what is the most active Jets message board on the web. So, as we discussed the other day, Jets win in Houston on the road. And now, having had an opportunity to go back and watch the All-22, see who stood out, a um, couple things couple things came to me. First of all, Javelin Guidry played a pretty good game. And he's playing the boundary. He's not just a slot guy now. Of course, you know, undrafted free agent out of Utah. He's got nickel size, nickel experience, played nickel last year. And now with sort of a lack of depth at the position and Michael Carter the second's emergence in the slot, that's bumped Gidry to the outside where he's he's looks like he's coming along nicely. It's a little early, but because he hasn't played a ton of games out there. He doesn't have a ton of reps, but he looked good this week. Now again, temper expectations. You're talking about the Texans. They don't exactly have uh you know a, a stud wide receiver core. But this is still a second-year undrafted guy learning a new position, or at least playing a new position at the pro level, and playing pretty well. So that jumped out of me. I thought, well, Javelin Gidry's having himself a really nice game. John Franklin Myers, who I'd mentioned, I mean everybody mentioned, at the conclusion of the game last week, had himself a really good game. And as I'd said prior to that, the production hadn't been there in previous weeks, but the effort was, so you kind of expect that the production will will pick up and ramp up again at some point. This doesn't mean, you know, nobody's saying he's going to get two sacks every week. But uh, these disappearing acts, or the disappearing act that, that everybody was worried about, was a little bit overblown. So we'll see how he bounces back this week against the Philadelphia Eagles. And on top of that, aside from those two guys, Quincy Williams had himself a, another good game. I mean, you, you can't deny his explosiveness. When he steps on the gas, he is go. And, uh, you know, I, a lot of times I try to avoid saying, I try to avoid the hyperbolic statements about what a big hitter somebody is. Because a lot of times you'll hear fans say, oh, this dude's a huge hitter, that dude's a huge hitter. And some guys are, some guys aren't. Some fans seem to attribute that title to any defensive player who's really good. Which, you know, isn't necessarily a bad thing. But Quincy Williams, he stands out. We've seen it several times now. I mean, how many guys knocked Derrick Henry sideways one-on-one? The hit he had on Mike Kosicki against the Dolphins. He just comes in at a different speed, a different intensity, and knocks guys sideways. And we saw some really good open field tackling from him this week. Again, we saw the explosion on the blitz and the sack. He's not a perfect player by any stretch, but he's your linebacker now. You, you, You can't not play this guy maximum snaps every week. That doesn't mean every package, of course, but the guy can play. And I look at this, I look at Quincy Williams, and I think to myself, this is why it's silly when you hear fans say, and it, it normally pertains to free agency. Quincy Williams, of course, was waived by the Jaguars. Jets picked him up. But with free agency, I often hear people say, 
Oh, you don't sign free agents. That's another team's trash. If, if that guy was any good, why would they let him walk? What, what do the Jets know that this team didn't? They had him on a roster, and they let him go. How good can he be? Well, John Franklin Myers, waived by the Rams. They're coming off a Super Bowl, the Rams. Right? So, you know, I'm going to say Quincy Williams, and you're going to say, oh, big deal, the Jaguars. The Jaguars, you know, they don't know what they're doing with personnel. The Rams have a pretty good idea, right? John Franklin Myers waved, picked up. Quincy Williams waved, picked up. And now you have, as a, if you look watch watch the front page on JetNation.com, put an article up there the other day about Elijah Riley. A safety wasn't waved, but he was poached by Joe Douglas. There's more than one way to skin a cat, right? Not every player you acquire has to be a draft pick. Not every player you acquire has to be a trade. Sometimes your pro personnel department has a pretty good idea what they're doing. And it looks like that might be the case with the Jets under Joe Douglas. Because those four guys I just named, who were four of the best players on the field this Sunday, JFM, Quincy Williams, Javelin Guidry, guys who have been here for a little bit, they, they played really well. Elijah Riley's the new guy. And as, you know, we had Emory Hunt on a couple weeks ago before we'd seen Elijah Riley play a snap, and Emory Hunt told us. He said, look, this guy, the Jets are hurting at safety. This is a kid who can play. Don't be surprised if he starts. Robert Sala was asked about him the other day. He said Joe Douglas wanted to poach him last year. But he didn't. Listen, you can't go out and get every single player you like. Practice squad, you know, you can't carry 40 guys on your practice squad. But he's clearly a guy Joe Douglas was familiar with, who he liked, who he went out and... And listen, it's two games. No one's anointing Elijah Riley anything. Just saying, he's looked really good early on. Encouraging sign. So four of the best players on the field for the Jets the other day were guys... Excuse me, guys who were undrafted or waved and let go by another team, or sitting on another team's practice squad. And you have to be able to identify talent or acquire talent in ways other than just the draft. And trades are infrequent. Teams are rarely willing to give up a player via trade. So, tip of the cap to Joe Douglas. Because... Pardon me. It's not just it's not just on the defensive side of the ball. Now that the season is progressing a little bit and guys are in guys have been in the system for a little while and they've played alongside each other for a little while, all of a sudden the offensive line that how many times did we hear that oh Joe Douglas he's supposed to be an offensive line expert He came in here and the offensive line is a mess. He's overrated. Why does everybody worship at the altar of Joe Douglas? He can't can't even rebuild the O-line. It's going to take more than 16 or 17 games, folks. Joe Douglas has had two off-seasons. And it's taken a little bit more than halfway through that second year of those players he's acquired to play at a pretty good level. They're not great. 
They're not great. Nobody's saying this is a top five O-line. However, it's an O-line that's playing pretty well. They have been for a little while. I tweeted it out the other day. Zach Wilson, in his first three games, was sacked 15 times. That's a lot. It's way too many. In the four games that follow that, eight times. From 15 sacks in three games to eight sacks over the next four. And according to the QB pressure numbers from PFF, Wilson was pressured 51% of the time week one, 48% of the time week two, 40% of the time week three. Then it dropped to 29 in week four, 34 in week five, 45 and a half week seven, so a little bump up again. And then 32% in week 12. And now the problem with that number is that it doesn't tell you, but if you've been watching the games and you've been watching them objectively, you know that there have been a fair number of times when Zach Wilson holds onto the ball too long. Now those count as pressures. Those sacks count too. So on paper, you might look at it and say, oh, the O-line, look what they did here, look what they did there. We've seen Zach Wilson not only hold on to the ball too long, we've seen him bail on clean pockets. Not a ton. I'm not, this isn't about ripping Zach Wilson. He's a rookie, he's making mistakes, he's going to make mistakes. I'm simply pointing out the fact that the O-line, that a few weeks ago, people were telling me Joe Douglas was incapable of putting together all of a sudden looks like a sort of middle-of-the-pack O-line. And that's not the worst thing in the world. Especially with uh, an off-season coming where the Jets have plenty of premium picks. You would imagine there's at least one O-lineman coming there. Makai Becton, does he come back this season at all? He's, you know, he's back. He's not even practicing full. I mean, this was supposed to be a four- to eight-week injury. And we're now, what, we're, we're now week 12 and he's just now practicing, you know, doing stretching light stuff. I don't know that we'll see him this year. Maybe we do, maybe we don't. But we'll see him next year. And I'm still on, I'm still with the, you know, the camp that says, uh, I'm not going to freak out over a fluke injury. I've still not, we've still not seen any injuries related to his size. We, you know, we've talked about that on this show. So next season, when you get Becton back, Next to AVT. What do you do with Connor McGovern? All of a sudden, Connor McGovern is the guy you signed. Connor McGovern looks like the player you thought you were getting when you gave him money. Last year, he didn't look so great. No getting around that. But he had been a good player in Denver previously. And now all of a sudden, you look at him and think, all right, you can live with this. But do you slide him the right guard and take Linderbaum in the draft? You know, that's that's we're going to have plenty of time to talk about that stuff. But all of a sudden, the guy who was a liability and had to be replaced, not really a liability. Now you got LDT at right guard. Two, he's two games in, right? He's looked okay. He's had good moments. He's had bad moments. Way too early to say anything on him. And Morgan Moses, you would imagine with Becton back, Fant will swing over to right tackle. But Morgan Moses, he was a monster the other day. I... I Shout out a tweet 
Which, by the way, I'm terrible at giving out the Twitter handle. At AceFan23, A-C-E-Fan23. Give me a follow. Also, be sure to follow Alex Varallo and Dylan Terriman, at Dylan Terriman, and at NYJetsLife24. They do the night show. I do the morning show. So, give us a follow on Twitter. You'll see that I, I sent out a clip or two of uh, Morgan Moses absolutely dominating. And I, I legitimately don't remember how many I sent out. I pulled a few clips onto a thumb drive. I may have only sent one. But Matt Morgan Moses jumped out. He looked really good. But he's an older guy. Do you bring him back for a year? As a backup? I I, I don't see why not. But that's, you know, that's... We have a while to worry about that. till the offseason. But the O-line, as I said, not a bad group. And really... I still see people using him as the whipping boy. Oh, Zach struggling because the O-line is terrible. Listen, he had a few shaky weeks to start his career. All right, if Zach Wilson is going to fold and and is unable to play quarterback at the pro level because his first three or four weeks he saw some pressure, then this was never going to work out anyway. I'm not saying he is at all. I'm still a Zach Wilson believer. He does some things that are frustrating, but I understand he's a rookie. Some things he does are more frustrating than others. And it pops up on the All-22. They mentioned it during the broadcast, on the, I believe on the drop all by Elijah Moore. Jay Feely pointed out he had Keelan Cole wide open for a touchdown, missed him. Just didn't see him, didn't throw to him. Um, on the play this week, but he, but he's catching some heat for some plays where he really doesn't deserve any heat. I wanted to cover that. The flip, the interception to Ty Johnson, come on now. Looked bad in real time. Went back and watched it. As he's starting to scramble, Ty Johnson sits, turns, and faces him. He's looking him in the eye. Zach Wilson sees Ty Johnson standing right in front of him with defenders closing in and decides to toss the ball to Ty Johnson. As he tosses the ball, he's sort of at the point of no return. He can't pull it back in. Ty Johnson turns around to run downfield and block, thinking Zach Wilson's going to run. So, look, it's an unfortunate thing. Stuff happens. This isn't, you know, this terrible, oh, my God, he he threw it to a guy who wasn't looking, and it hit him in the back and got intercepted. No, he flipped it to a guy who was looking when he decided to flip it and then turned to run downfield after he flipped it. There's nothing anyone can do about that. This This is one of the reasons you drafted Zach Wilson. And I'm sure I mentioned this after the game. You love the off-platform stuff. You love the off-schedule. You love the improvisation. You can't then say when the improvisation doesn't work, oh, he's an idiot. Why did he do that? Because you know damn well, if Ty Johnson had faced him the whole time and he pulled that in, make a couple guys miss and make a big play, all of a sudden, yeah, that's why we took him. That's why we love Zach. That's what makes him special. So you can't have it both ways. It was, you know, it was, it was a bonehead. It, it wasn't a bonehead play. It was him just trying to make something happen. So, you know, if you're giving him heat for that, you're just kind of looking for something to not like about him. Um, I mean, and this isn't to say he played a great game because he didn't. You know, we discussed that after the game. <clears throat> he was he was inaccurate early, started the game one for six. And then even as he got better, some of his completions were a little bit ugly. But he got the job done, made, big, made a couple big throws in some big spots. And there were some drops. Let's not forget that if we're going to sort of hold everyone accountable here. Elijah Moore, I believe, had two drops. 
Um, I think I counted four total. So, again, Zach Wilson could have been better. His supporting cast could have been better. But the O-line wasn't bad. The defense was fantastic, led by the guys I already mentioned. Quinton Williams also had himself a really nice game. Sheldon Rankins, as he sometimes does, had some phenomenal highlight reel plays. Um, and listen, sometimes when these things don't show up, when these things don't show up on the stat sheet, when you're not getting the sacks and the forced fumbles and things like that, fans just kind of, or not, you know, some fans just kind of assume you're invisible. Oh, he didn't play well that day. No TFLs, no sacks, no this, no that. No, you can disrupt the play, change the course of a play, and do something that doesn't show up in the stat book. Enough, but I wanted to, well, talking about the D-line and things that don't show up in the stat book. Now, listen, he was far, um, he was far from, uh, from dominant. <clears throat> Excuse me. Terrible cough. Did my COVID test. I'm negative. Um, the D-line, Jabari Zuniga played what I thought was his best game of the year. Uh, PFF grade says otherwise, but this is why. We don't think PFF is gospel. I believe they have the Cincinnati game rated higher. I thought he was better in this game. No splash plays, but a couple plays where he was on the cusp. And he just, this is about progress, basically, for Jabari Zuniga. I've said many times that I think he's the least likely guy to make it. That doesn't mean I don't want him to make it. And when I say least likely, I mean from last year's class. Excluding James Morgan, um, who's gone again, by the way. Um... But Jabari Zuniga, he just looked comfortable. He looked like he knew where he was supposed to be. He was, you know, he was at or around the ball several times. And I'll tell you what, you go back and you watch Jabari Zuniga from last year, and just looking comfortable, pursuing the ball carrier, uh, you know, from in, in the backfield, not ten yards down the field. Um, it's a dramatic improvement. So the people who don't like the guy. Of course, they're going to say, oh, big deal. Oh, I'm, I'm supposed to get excited because he almost tackled somebody. No. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> no. You're supposed to be encouraged that he's showing progress. <clears throat> That's all I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not enshrining anyone anywhere. I'm not, I'm not anointing anyone. Oh, he's not a bust anymore. Look, he's a great player. No. He's just, he's, he looks noticeably more comfortable playing than he did last year um, and he spent most of this year on the practice squad so at this point in time for what my expectations were for Jabari Zuniga even if he would arise to the level of quality backup I'd take it it would still be you know it would still fall short of expectations when you take a guy in the top 100 but as I've said before there's there's different levels of bust right what's a bust a bust is a guy who doesn't meet expectations okay fine well you can miss expectations by a tiny bit or you can miss expectations by a mile, and you can fall somewhere in between. When you miss expectations by a mile, you're out of the league. You don't belong. If Jabari Zuniga doesn't play like a guy who's picked in the top 100, but he plays like a middle-late rounder and, and offers them quality depth, that's I'm fine with that. I don't I don't get the, the uh, you know, insisting that anyone who isn't a superstar is a bust. So, again, it's a... It, it, Played well against Cincinnati. Looked all right this week. The reason I mention it is just because of the progress. Um, it's a, a huge leap for him to to go back. If you go back and look at where he was last year, 
to the way he's played in a couple of games this year. He's, he's coming along slowly, very slowly, but surely. So you take it. You take it. And speaking of the guys who are coming along and guys who, you know, who you'd like to see really step up, Denzel Mims is has come along and he's, he's come off the COVID list and Keelan Cole goes on it. And then we still have still have Corey Davis with a I think they said it was a groin, a bulky groin. So Davis is banged up with a groin. Cole's out with COVID. Denzel Mims, this is your shot, Denzel. I think this will be his first extensive action with Zach Wilson. Um Corey Davis said he feels better but didn't practice. So I would assume he's either not gonna play. Or if he plays, you have to, you would have to imagine he will be limited quite a bit in how much he's able to do. So no Davis, no Cole. Mims could become, Mims could be a guy who sees eight, nine targets on Sunday. Personally, I would love it. I haven't given up on the guy. Um, I know a lot of people have, you know, God forbid a guy has a couple bad games, time to trade him, time to cut him, give up, bail. To each his own, folks. Uh, I'm not bailing on a player after a couple of bad games. I mean, it's been a nightmare season for him as a whole. The food poisoning, and then, you know, he, he's the one guy who's got to learn everyone's position on the roster before he can get on the field. And then he gets on the field, he's pressing, he gets a couple of drops. I mean, Denzel Mims, one drop on 44 targets last season. One on 44 targets. This year, I think he's got 12 targets, he's got three drops. So, unacceptable number undoubtedly, but his history tells us that that's not him. Like, the guy he's playing like right now, that's not the guy he is. So it's up to him to turn things around and get things heading in the right direction. And it's funny to me that with, with these injuries, I would have thought, and I tweeted this earlier, I would have thought we'd, we would have heard Vincent Smith's name by now. Um, don't forget about Vincent Smith. He's a, he's a guy who took a lot of Mims' reps in preseason when it looked like he might take that roster spot. And the Jets kept him on the practice squad. So he's been with the club the whole time. So he knows the offense and the quarterbacks and all that. Um, just as a depth guy, just with the other guys dinged up. I'm surprised that we haven't heard Vincent Smith's name. We'll see if that comes up at any point. And, of course, the other thing I wanted to touch on before we wrap things up is the kicker competition. Matt Amendola, not a good day for him the other day. And we said as much. We said after the game that we expected a kicking competition, and Robert Sala was asked the other day about Alex Kessman, and he said, yeah, it, this week's a competition. Last week wasn't. It was it was handed to Amendola last week after a shaky week before that, another miss. So now he's got to fight for his job. And Kessman's a guy, listen, Kessman, his numbers, w- weren't they wouldn't blow you out of the water uh, from his numbers in Pitt. His senior season, I think he hit on 79%, which is pretty damn good when you consider the fact He's playing his home games in Heinz Field. That's one of the toughest stadiums in the country to kick in. And uh, and here's a guy who kicked in that stadium in some pretty bad conditions. But if you had one game where he went uh, four for four, including a couple of 50-plus yarders, you don't see that a lot in Heinz Field. So there's reason to believe this kid can kick. And the Jets, listen, they just need to keep working guys out and giving guys opportunities until someone steps up. Because that's, you know... It's it's been a revolving door for uh, for a few years now. I think we've had just about enough of it, and um, hopefully hopefully one of these guys steps up. 
you want someone to step up and steal the job and solidify it. You know, kick well for the rest of the season, well enough to win and keep the job, and and one less thing to worry about as the offseason approaches. So we'll see what happens there. We'll see what happens as the Jets take on the Eagles. The Jets 0-12 lifetime against the Eagles. I don't think there's a more negative stat about the Jets that I care less about. I, I assume because it's an NFC team, I have no feelings about the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, passionate fan base. But I don't, it's not a team you see often enough to, to, to worry about. And it's just a fluky thing to be 0-11, 0-12, whatever it is. Um, now, do they lose another one this Sunday? I think that's going to come down to whether or not Jalen Hurts is able to go and what Jalen Hurts will be able to do if he goes. I think if you get Gardner Minshew, or or uh, I believe he's the number two up there. Um, I think if you get Minshew, you can beat him. But Hurts is uh, Hurts is turning out to be a heck of a weapon, a really good runner, tough guy to, to, to track down. I think if Hurts goes and Hurts is, is you know 80% or more, I think the Eagles win this game. I think the Jets' defensive line is going to, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of what we've seen from previous teams where they leave a, a lineman or two unblocked and then get to the second level and block a linebacker. And I don't think these Jets linebackers have the speed to keep up with Hurts, and he's going to be able to, to buy plenty of time for his receivers while the secondary tries to cover. And... um that uh, their O line, that the Eagles' offensive line is pretty damn good too, so they should be able to run it a little bit, and they're going to have a hard time containing Hurts again. If Hurts can't go, the Jets have a shot. If Hurts plays, I think the Jets lose, unfortunately. But um, speaking of Jets losses, uh, draft position, the Jets flipped with the Seahawks the other day after the Seahawks lost. Uh, I th- it's it's fun to talk about. It's fun to say what if what if they're picking four and five? What if they're picking three and six? I just don't see that happening. I could be wrong, but um, the Jets have some pretty bad teams on their schedule, and I know the Jets are a pretty bad team. Um, you know, if you're just looking at the at the at, at the record. However, um, I think this D line, if they you know, as I've said all season, if they play well, when you play teams like the Saints, who are really struggling right now. The Dolphins, who, you know, yes, they did beat the Jets, but I think that's a winnable game for them. I think the Jets can win a couple more contests. And then, of course, Seattle. I mean, can Russ Wilson keep playing this poorly? That would be, I mean, it's already surprising. If I mean, listen, when he went out with the injury, when he was coming back, I think a few a few of us said, if that if that finger isn't right and he's not gripping that ball right, Seattle might lose a few few more games than you expect. And at the moment, they don't look like they can beat anybody. So maybe it happens, but in my mind, I'm penciling both the Jets and the Seahawks in for two or three more wins each. And assuming they they won't be top, they won't have two top five picks. Maybe a six and a nine or a seven and a ten or something like that. Um, I'm just anticipating the worst in terms of draft position. And really, I hope the Jets. I hope the Jets win, you know, four out of five down the stretch or three out of four. And I don't care if they move down a few spots if we if we start to see improved play from Zach Wilson. So where they're going to pick, we don't know. But you just like seeing those losses stack up for Seattle. Uh, terrible shame what's happening to Jamal Adams up there. Um, you, you just hate to see it. You know, guy deserves better, doesn't he? 
Um, by the way, uh, as I tweeted out earlier, uh, Elijah Riley uh, has the higher PFF grade uh, right now than Jamal Adams. And we know PF. Here's the rule with PFF. Everyone says they're terrible. They don't know anything. Some people love them. Some people hate them. With PFF, if you like the stat, you like them. If you don't like the stat, you don't like them. So in this case, Jamal Adams being rated behind Elijah Riley, we like him. We like that stat. And uh, and we'd like a win this week against the Eagles. We'll wrap it up here on the uh, on the post game once that game finishes up. And hopefully, hopefully a second win in a row for Zach Wilson and company. Thanks for checking us out this week, Jets fans. And we will catch up with you next week. Have a good one.